I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Jeremy here. Hope you're having a flipping amazing day. Uh, And I hope it just keeps getting better because you're going to listen to our podcast. And if you have been listening to our podcast for a while, you know that we have a pretty broad spectrum uh, in in where our episodes kind of kind of fall. Um, some episodes are really funny, like you know we'll sit down and talk about brain cancer and and have a good old chuckle, and then sometimes we'll talk about things that that are a little bit harder to joke about or laugh about, like uh, the time we talked to a psychologist about pedophilia. Well, this week's episode. It's it's a it is a pretty somber episode. Uh, just to kind of set this up for you, we we speak with uh, we speak we spoke with uh, former emergencies task force officer Jim Bremner. Uh, Jim Bremner is a he's a Canadian author and and a former SWAT member essentially, and uh, he's basically the most badass motherfucker you'll ever meet. Uh, during his time on SWAT, he was a, a gun team member, a team leader, a sniper, a rappel master, a less lethal chemical and specialty impact munitions instructor, and explosives technician. Uh, <laughs> he's n- not one to be fucked with. Um, and this week's episode, we talked to Jim about his struggles with PTSD. Now, when we sat down to record with Jim, uh, he didn't want to uh, talk about the specifics of the incident um, that led to his trauma. Uh, it was just a subject that was just a little too a little too sensitive to go into uh, on a live recording, which we totally understood. And so we don't actually talk about what happened. Um, but to give you a, a little bit of background, um, 16 years ago, when Jim was working for uh, the, the Toronto EF, uh, ETF, um, he was involved in, in two fatal shootings uh, within five days of each other. And those two incidences, um, incidences, those two incidents, <laughs> those two very unfortunate um, events, uh, sent Jim into a a pretty deep, dark spiral into depression, into alcoholism. And, uh, and it was a very, very big hill to climb. And we talk about that with Jim. Uh, so just prepare yourself, uh, sit back, relax and, and, uh, listen to to some of the incredible things that this this beautiful human being has to share. And with that, on with the show. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Jim Bremner. He has PTSD. Let's talk about it.
Yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. Keep the Chinese food it's, off the podcast. It's, it's this that they don't really like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> don't do that. Taylor's the worst for that. <laughs> uh, so, hi, Jim. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. Good, good, good. Uh, so, Jim, who are you? <laughs> who Who is Jim Bremner? Well, ultimately, that's the question we, we all have, right? Who are we? Um, that said, uh, again, Jim Bremner, uh, I'm a police officer, uh, have been for 31 years now in the city of Toronto. Now, when you got into law enforcement, uh, were you like, uh, were you just like a beat cop? Like, were you, were you one was, of those stereotypical beat cop rookies that was like, in fact, kind of walking the streets? I was a beat cop rookie right outside this building. Now, get the fuck out of here, really? <laughs> for sure. Yeah, no, for. Uh, about uh, 30 years ago, I walked the beat uh, up and down the streets here on Spadine and Queen, and uh, it was a much different uh, atmosphere than it is than it is now. Yeah, it was right. very industrial. Uh, in fact, the building we're in was probably a garment center. Uh, it was not bright and... And you probably know, it, probably a, a front for some sort of mafia, I'm guessing. I mean, well, I'll leave that to you. <laughs> make that assumption. But, but it was uh, again the, the city. This part of the city is is changed uh, dramatically. Jim, how old are you? I am 58. I think I don't know. How old's how old's Chris? I think you may be the oldest guest we've had on the show. Chris, which is really thank exciting. you very much. Yeah. <laughs> well, this, I, mean, it, it, I mean that in a good way. I think you're you're, you're bringing you're bringing the wisdom. You're going to oh, show okay. these three young okay, no young pressure. bucks how to, uh, how to act. Chris is uh, Chris is in his fifties as well. Yeah, I think he is too. 50, yeah, mid fifties. And then John John uh, John Grant's probably. He was yeah yeah he was in his 50s. yeah um, yeah so. Like so, you, you traveled all over Canada. So you you have a broad you have a broad perspective on you know what law enforcement's like in Canada and different in different places and how it's like the diversity of of. Uh... Well, again, I I would say that just the fact that I've been able to travel it gives me uh, an overview that somebody that hasn't yeah. uh, would not be able to have. So. Uh, that said, the common denominator is uh, people in uniform are human beings, and that is, you know, what I'm here to talk about today, essentially. Right, right. because I think that there's, I mean, uh, I'm, uh, have you ever watched The Wire? The you know, the Wire? it's interesting that you say that. I, I, I haven't. It's, and, it's, uh, it's, it's, the, it's, everyone considers it the best television yeah. show. It's an amazing, it's an ever, amazing, ever it's an amazing show. And, and a friend of mine who's a cop in Halifax, um, she was telling me that, you know, it's like, it's the, it's she loves it because it's the, it tells the it shows the reality of what of what it's like to be to be like an investigator and a B cop and like what's really kind of happening and um, and that that kind of divide uh, and it kind of sh- it kind of shows how sometimes the like this like the street level like gang violence and stuff like that that's that where you kind of view the uh, you know the the cop as the bad guy and. This uh, this person that's you know out to get out to get people and and not the the human side of of things. Um, it's Hollywood, bro. Yeah, but like um, that, every police officer goes home and has a, 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 a maybe a family or a, you know hobbies and, and a life outside of that uniform. It's like uh, it's like teachers. It's like when you're growing up and you look at your teachers and you're just in like school you, and you're like I. When you get when you get older and you you see your teacher in real life, 
you know, like out, out, like I don't know, at the bar. Yeah. Like God forget this is crab apple. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> And then you see them, and you're like, oh, oh my God, you have a life. I didn't. I never looked at you that way. I just thought you disappeared after <laughs> I left class. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or that you just slept, just in, slept the in the classroom. <laughs> Um, so Jim, Jim Bremner, uh, this young rookie cop, how old were you when you joined the force? I would say about 26, 25. I joined late. Okay. And, uh, that's just life. What, what did Ashley. you do? What did you do before you were a cop? <laughs> I was in graphic arts, believe it or not. I was, Get out of here. Oh, really? I was an artist. Oh, cool. interesting. Yeah. And what made you want to join the forces? Uh, the forces is, is well, it's, it's, uh, There's a big difference between the forces yeah. and the force. I know, I'm, a, I'm actually a veteran of the, the Canadian military myself. Thank you for your service. It, so I should have I should have known the uh, ball hockey the was about the extent of Brian's yeah. service. But yeah. anyway, let's move on. Uh, so, what made you want to be a police officer? Well, I, I would say that. Um, it was always probably in the back of my mind, and uh, <coughs> once you know, I decided that uh, you know I was going to get married. I needed a you know a paying job. Obviously, art has its challenges. Tell me about it. Uh, well, you guys Fuck. would know, right? So yeah. uh, I decided uh, that I would uh, endeavor to join the, the police and uh, Toronto. But either smart enough or dumb enough to take me, and, uh, <laughs> and, and, look at it. and so it, it it began. And uh, in the beginning, uh, you know, again, you you go through recruiting and you go into your, uh, you know, the rookie uh, portion of your career. And uh, for me, that only lasted about two and a half, three years. And immediately after that, I went to. The, uh, the emergency task force, or what most people recognize as a, a SWAT team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you moved up, kind of. I mean, would that be considered up in the ranks, or that's just like a special division? Well, it, it's 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 um, it, it, it's, it's very diff, it's difficult to get there in that right. short a period of time. Usually, it takes mm-hmm. people about seven, eight years to get there. Um, I, you know, for whatever reason, I ended up there fairly early. Mm-hmm. Like they messed up the paperwork. Uh, <laughs> it could, it, well, you, it, you know what? I'll tell you something. It depends on who you speak to. <laughs> uh, they, they may wonder that themselves. But uh, I stayed there for, uh, you know, the better part of, well, close to 20 years. Okay, so so Jim Bremner, uh, B-Cop. Right. Killing it. Goes to SWAT. Yeah. Doing great. Twenty years into it, and there's an event that happens, and that event uh, caused. Would you do you do you use the term PTSD? Like, would you? Well, again, it, uh, it's that's you know, currently uh, PTSD is is uh, what would be recognized in the statistical manuals of mm. psychology. Mm-hmm. Is that That's what you'd be diagnosed with. Right. That said, if we go back to World War I, it was shell, shell shock. shock yeah. And then after that, it became battle fatigue. Did you and hear that? Do you ever hear the George Carlin bit? 100%. That? It's so fantastic. fucking good. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. It's so good. I'm yeah. not familiar with it. It's, uh, essentially what you were saying, it's, yeah. it, it's, it's the, 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 the funny way that we take language and we, we alter language to, to, to make it more, uh, 
more politically correct. Yeah, we're, well, we're more robotic, or you know, or like kind of take the humanity out of it. Oh, interesting. And that's the that's the way I kind of take right. it. Is that well, we take the humanity out of it, and you've hit the nail on the head. And and the problem again when we talk about and I said this at the beginning about you know the uh, television shows. Um, whether you're a teacher or a police officer, whatever it is that you do, at the end of the day, you're a human being, okay? Mm -hmm. And part of the the issue um, when we're talking about helping people get through their PTSD, it's it's a human issue. It's what we're doing right here. Yeah. Right? And um, there isn't anything you can write on a piece of paper. There isn't a name that you can put on that or a label. Um, and the more we dehumanize it, the harder it is for people to get better. Right. Mm. So, um, the end of the day, uh, you have to understand again, um, humans, uh, in terms of our evolution are meant to socialize with one another. Mm -hmm. You know, in fact, you guys all just had some breakfast, but actually more of that is about talking about, you know, what happened last night, what you did mm -hmm. and socializing. And it actually has to do with eating. Cause if you're hungry, you just eat. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So um, what I'm getting at is that for law enforcement, you, you have to understand that we see 1% of people 99% of the time, and that's usually people that aren't happy. Yeah. Okay, so immediately you're in conflict with them. And the most uh, <coughs> um, troubling thing for humans is the emotional content of uh, conflict, and it's actually not the physical part. So when you're in conflict with people 10, 12 hours a day, eight hours a day, whatever the shift is, mm. and now you come back into uh, to the office and you're dealing with your supervisors and now you're administratively in conflict, mm. where do you take that? Well, of course, you take it home. Yeah. Right. And I call it law enforcement math. Um, don't take uh, work home and don't bring home to work. This is not possible. So what happens is um, we're about 75 to 80% on the divorce rate. Whoa, and, really that high? Yeah, and that's because <coughs> we take a lot of law enforcement. And that's because we take a lot of that work home. problem, those yeah. problems home. And, yeah, and it seeps into and your so, relationships. So and what happens is over time, again, the more you're exposed and if there's something that's uh, significantly traumatic, uh, the loss of a child, um, if you're involved in... Uh, particularly uh, uh, violent um, uh, confrontation mm. uh, that, uh, you know, once it's all over with, what happens is you, you start to look at yourself and you go down the coulda, shoulda, woulda, and, you know, what kind of person am I and the mm. moral and ethical challenges that you're, you're going to uh, put yourself through. Do you think, like I know, you know, you you said this really interesting stat. Like I've never heard it put that way. You you guys deal with one percent of the population, ninety nine percent of the time, and and there's a high percentage of of divorce rate. And, and and I'm curious to know, you know, if you guys are put in that situation that is clearly very uh, emotionally draining and 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 you know stressful and and like uh, adrenaline fueled. Is there, is there a, I don't want to word this, people who don't come out on the other end mm -hmm. with 
let's just say P, like just PTSD, sure. just yeah. for, just for the sake of easy <clears throat> conversation. People who come out on the other end with, who don't come out on the other end with PTSD, is it possible to go through that much that much trauma or that much like high intensity stress through through a very like confrontational work environment and not no. be affected in some way? No. And you know, and, like I hear people like uh, this this guy. Um, um, Fuck, what's his name? He's been on Joe Rogan's podcast a few, kind of, a few times. Uh, Jan- Janko Will- Willink. Or, uh, he's like a huge like military guy. Sure. You know, and he like loves doing that. And, you, sure. and you're, you're listening and you're going, and this guy, he, he, was, he was a SEAL Team 6 guy. Sure. Oh, no shit. Yeah, and, he, and it's, you know, listening to him talk about, you know, the things that he's seen and that he's been through, it, listening to it, you're going, how are you not? Crumbling, like how, like how do how do you how do you how do you still function? Like like how do you like how do you not struggle with what you've done? I don't know. Like, are people bearing it? Like, what's the? Well, again, so when we were talking earlier about the different names for it, currently in law enforcement circles, they'll, they'll call it critical incident stress. Okay, so you've been involved in a critical incident or a significant incident. God, and it really some, is so robotic. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's so and, like non-human. Uh, you know, um, and and again, part of the problem is putting all these different names on it. But the reality is that this is it's it's science. Okay. So uh, the world has natural consequences for for us all. If we choose to ignore it, well, then you become a victim of that. The reality is, again, uh, with uh, enough pressure, we have an adaptive survival mechanism that that tells us. If any of you been bit, uh, bitten by a dog, but for chance, uh, no, uh, Not severely. Uh, okay. Jeff's cat this morning bit. Okay, me. well, okay, but, but okay. So it's a pretty playful so bite. Really, but, uh, what I'm getting at is is. Um, <coughs> How sort of how the survival mechanism and PTSD manifests itself. Have you heard of your fight and flight center? Yeah, yeah. Fight, right. flight, or uh, freeze. freeze. Yeah. And there's a couple other ones in there. Um, food and making babies are the five Fs, if you will. Right. Okay. So making um, babies. <laughs> th- these are. So we have two right now. You're working in your in your modern brain. Okay. So that's your rational thinking process, your math, your reading, all of those wonderful things that, you know, make humans uh, do the things that they do. The other part of the brain that developed long before the rational part is, is something called the limbic system, system or the midbrain. And that midbrain, that holds that f- those five Fs, if you will, or that fight and flight center. Mm. Okay, so when you're bitten by the dog, the natural instinct of that part of the brain <clears throat> is to say, you know what, anything that looks like a dog, I'm not going to go near that anymore. Mm. And so I start to avoid it, mm-hmm. right? And... Uh, some people will have a car accident and they'll never make a left-hand turn again in their life. Right. Right? Because they, again, that part of the brain, it makes no rational sense whatsoever. Just but going, that part no, of the brain associates... Yeah, exactly. exactly. Don't do it again. Exactly. Do it again. So, yeah. so they start to avoid, right? And really what happens in, in really simplistic terms is that fight and flight center starts to take your life over. Mm. And, and as much as you sit back and rationally try and think your way through this, uh, it will... Again, jump out at the most inopportune times. Right. Right. And um, so part of those things that people that have PTSD are flashbacks, nightmares, feeling as though that it's, you know, the the event's happening right now. So I have all the physiology as well. Mm. I start breathing deeper. um, (coughs) You know, I start to sweat. My heart's pounding. 
uh, all of those things, panic attacks. Have you have you experienced like? Uh, do you do you call them triggers? Like, or what's okay? So so again, if we take the a trigger would be again. If I was bitten by a dog, when I see a dog, that would be a that trigger. That would trigger you. Yeah. If yeah. Uh, somebody was uh, involved in something, uh, you know, nasty when a specific song was playing, when the song plays, immediately they'll go back to that mm. point in time. Odors are very powerful. Yeah, uh, things as well. If you've ever had a house that's been on fire, yeah. you'll never forget that as soon as you smell that you're there well this is really interesting we like we've we've heard you know we've talked to a number of people on the podcast that you know uh, naturally in the conversation sexual abuse will come out or whatever and and uh we were talking about triggers for a little while and this interesting Mm -hmm. thing happened actually and i don't think i told you taylor um and i asked her i asked her if i could I, i could mention this but this girl who uh who i know from the yoga studio back home um she was. She took my class the other day. So we all three of us teach yoga. Oh, um, okay. And so she came. She took my class, and she came out and she goes, "I have to tell you something. Mondays used to be my favorite day of the week. I looked forward to Sick Boy all the time. I love. I love Sick Boy. Couldn't wait for the episodes to come out. She was like until November, and I, and and I was like, oh oh shit, like." Did we put like what episode did we put out in November that turned you off from us? Was it the chewing? Was it the eating? <laughs> I was thinking. I was saying that we shouldn't tell Taylor this story because it's going to make him feel bad. No, anyway, no, it won't. It won't. No, it won't. Did make I him feel say bad. something? No, no, it no. won't make him feel bad. No, no, I don't think it will. So anyway, she was like, no, no, no. It was because um, I went to I, I went to Taylor's class during yoga week, and she was like, I don't know what it is. She was like, he has no idea about this. And he doesn't know, like, you don't know her. You, you wouldn't, you probably see her and be like, oh, yeah, maybe she's familiar. Something about your class was a trigger to her. Mm-hmm. And she, she's suffering for, I didn't know this. She had PTSD. <laughs> Something about your class. And she was saying particularly your feet. She was like, I don't know. It was his feet. But, Whoa. But, this is what, and, and, but this is what I found interesting is that she hates you. Or in that moment, she hated, like, seething hatred and she was so upset she left the class she was like bawling and for like days she hated you and she hasn't listened to the podcast since and then when she told me that she was like man that took a lot for me to tell you I feel like I need to go see Taylor and like talk to him even though he has no idea about any of this but I just I'm not sure if I can and she was like and I, and I was like do you still hate him and she's like no 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 not at all like that was just a one time thing but she's probably going to avoid interacting with you because of this whatever this trigger was right and it doesn't make me that, feel bad that it just it's just that's it's super mind blowing yeah. right I and I had no idea that and this was you know again we we coming back to talking to people that have experienced um, sexual abuse on the mm-hmm. podcast and, and this conversation of tri- uh, trigger warnings came up right. and whether or not we should put them at the top of episodes before we start talking about um, or if that episode contains discussion surrounding sure. sexual abuse and I was always like well I don't know because you then you'd have to what else we'd have to trigger warning everything you know like right. we'd have to trigger warning talking about I don't know, right. uh, abdominal surgery or, or, Taylor's or brain feet. cancer or, t- or Taylor's feet. Well, uh, kind of but, but I didn't realize how, how visceral a Good trigger word. could Good be, word. right? Because yeah. she, when she looked at me and said, I, I had seething hatred for Taylor. Like, that was when I was like, right. whoa, and that hate, is so Hatred is, is what? It's an emotion, right? Yeah. So we're back to, to the emotions. Yeah. And what... Again, um, that 
limbic part of the brain has is emotion. Okay, so we feel before we think. Mm. And uh, again, I'll, you know, as an example, if somebody cuts you off in traffic, the first thing you have is an emotion. Yeah. Then you have a rational thought of, well, you know, yeah. that's really, they probably didn't mean it. They, you know, it's not personal. <laughs> my and you my, go my wife is listening to this right, right. now going, <clears throat> yeah, take right. that advice, yeah, Jeremy. Jeremy. You so, do, Jeremy. So, <laughs> again, uh, what's happening is the, the rational part of this person that you're speaking of has not, uh, sometime after, mm-hmm. has engaged and said, well, yeah, actually, I, maybe I should speak to Taylor and yeah. apologize. But in the moment, the emotion goes forward. Takes okay. over. Right, takes over. Yeah. So if you were, were having trouble controlling your emotions, what do people do? Drink, drug, eat, don't eat, gamble, mm-hmm. sex. Mm-hmm. Vices, they uh, just follow uh, Right, advice. because that's a way of numbing that emotional turmoil. Right. right? Or, or pain, Right. And um, typically, that's why people go down that road, right? And the problem is then, now you have PTSD and you have a dependency. So now, now is, you, that, is that something that you got in, involved with? Did you, did you well, latch on to Unfortunately advice? for law enforcement, uh, you know, in the past, not as much anymore, um, but, you know, you drank when you're happy, you drank when you're sad, you drank when you, it's time to drink, let's drink. That and, sounds a and lot it, like it, me right it, now. It, yeah, well, again, it, se- it seems to be... But that said, I've, I've had a chance to travel many places, and, and uh, every place you go, uh, they have a vice of, of some type, whether it's a plant or a, a drink mm-hmm. or what have you. So humans seem to have a need to remove themselves from the reality of their, their existence. Um, but again, for somebody that has... A malady or PTSD or emotional turmoil, they're going to want to go there more often. Mm-hmm. There's actually a, a doctor, Gabor Mate, who does most of his uh, research in Vancouver's Lower East Side, and what he's found is that uh, he deals with obviously uh, uh, heroin addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, but oh. he hasn't. He, he. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's a fascinating uh, person. Uh, but that said, what he's found through his studies is that what everybody has in common that's addicted is trauma. Mm, and, yeah. and, and so to me, when you look at dependency, I actually, I don't even, um, I don't really use the word addicted. Uh, it, it's another, it's a label. But again, the, the, the dependency is a result, it's a symptom of the trauma. Mm-hmm. So when we're trying to get people well, the idea is to deal with their trauma issue, whether it's sexual abuse, a violent encounter, whatever mm-hmm. the case may be, and normalize that and help them come to terms with it. And then magically, the dependency goes away. Uh, when we try to do it the other way, we're not as successful. Mm-hmm. In fact, rarely successful. Mm-hmm. And what was your vice? Drink? I or drank. Yeah, I'm yeah. a good Irish kid. <laughs> good, good old Irish boy. And, uh, you know, that was, you know, what I saw growing up, and, and that's sort of what was passed on to me. And uh, the more I had to deal with the emotion, uh, the more dependent I became. Mm-hmm. And so you, okay, so... You you have this uh, this traumatic experience. Yep. It starts to affect your your um, your daily routine. Hundred percent. Um, how, how do you 
how does that play into work? Like, at what point did you have to step forward and and, and kind of let work know, like, hey guys, I'm I'm feeling kind of fucked up today. Well, um, no, uh, I held on for, <laughs> and the reason they call it post-traumatic stress is because it occurs afterwards, and it can be, uh, you know, a month afterwards, it can be a year afterwards, it can be ten years afterwards. Mm. Um, I started to uh, have trouble with it fairly recently, like you know, post close inc- to the t- post yeah, incident, close to the and 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 then. Uh, I just kind of dealt with it as best I could and tried to bury it as men do. And um, eventually it caught up with me and I found myself uh, trying to commit suicide and with an impaired driving charge. Oh, wow. And finally, only through the courts did it get me to a wonderful place called Homewood out in Guelph where uh, I stayed for three months as an inpatient. And they managed to, um, again, help me understand uh, what the issue was mm-hmm. uh, helped me build you know some self confidence and and come back out into the world uh, as and start over hi i'm jesse crookshank jesse crookshank i host the number 1 comedy podcast called phone a friend girl Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. What well, uh, at that point? Uh, so, what did you call it? Home. Homewood, Homewood. Uh, Health Center. It's in in Guelph, and they do uh, wonderful work with people with cool. addictions and PTSD nice. and, and other issues. So, when you went to Homewood, how uh, at what like what's the gap there between incident and for me, and getting help? At for Homewood? me, it was about four years. Okay, and and and, uh, and when you, I, when you were done Homewood, did you go back to did you go back to the force? Well, uh, again, let's talk about. We talked about um, my professional life, but in, in my personal life, I also, in that same period of time, I lost a brother, uh, my mother, my father, an uncle, Jesus and, and, and actually Within my grandmother. Four and, years? And, and, yeah, and then my um, and the fourth year, uh, 2004, is when I lost my dad. And it was shortly after that. that Holy fuck, that, that, uh, Yeah, so again, um, to, you know, when somebody comes to work, Hey, good morning. Hey, how you doing? We're good. Uh, you need to take the time to find out if they are good and, yeah. and, and if we're okay today. But um, it, because it's so easy just to say it's yeah, really easy, good, and, and then... we do it every day. But the but the fact is, some people be, can be carrying a lot of baggage, and mm-hmm. and um, so when my dad passed, uh, the wheels basically fell off the cart. That was it. There, you know, can't can't go anymore. And yeah. and I. <laughs> And you talk about triggers, and, and it's funny. Um, I was involved in a, uh, a shooting uh, on, on my birthday. I uh, was involved in another one on New Year's, which is my daughter's birthday. Yeah. Um, 9-11 is my anniversary, and I lost both my parents on Christmas in two different years. Oh, oh my so, gosh. So 
in times when people, you know, you should be enjoying your birthday and enjoying New Year's and Christmas, I want to stay in a dark basement yeah. and, and not come out. Yeah. Right? So probably, you know, in hindsight, I probably should have shared more of these things with, you know, the, the people that I work with. But, you know, you're trying to be a man, right? You're is it, to is it, <laughs> is it yeah. tough being at work because it's almost like like you were saying it's it's impossible for people in your profession to to go through that job without feeling the effects of that right and is it is it do you feel like when you're there at work that you can't open up about those things or do people talk about well again in the past it was a very uh you know male dominated testosterone-filled atmosphere, and and uh, there wasn't really people, you know, you just didn't go there, right? You yeah. Just, you well, know, there's such it, a culture with men just not... We're a big part of the problem, 100%. Right, and, and, and I'm sure it's amplified by by the by the work environment as well. And sure. Like, just the the idea, it's such an... It's so autonomous to go, you know, to, to just go, oh, I'm good. Yeah, you know, like how many times has how many times has somebody asked you how you're doing when you're doing shitty, and you just say, "Oh, it's great, great day," uh-huh. and you're just, I, and it's like, but the culture of of of, of almost just something as simple as that at like the root level of of going like, "Oh yeah, yeah today kind of sucks." Like I'm you know I'm having a tough time because uh, you know you, not even that you need to divulge inform, like all the information about how you feel, but just going, yeah, today's. But I, I feel the like the challenge for me when it comes to that is I, I notice myself, I say a lot of the time, people say, how are you? And I always say, I'm great. Yeah, everything's going very well, even if I feel inside down and, and depressed a little bit. And part of my reasoning and rationale to doing that is because I want to project outwardly the way that I want to feel. Yeah, but you're, you're talking about it from a very specific way of looking at it, right? Whereas I, know, I feel like I a lot of people don't even... Don't even don't have the awareness that much awareness of that, right? Like they're not even. At, it's like at, saying good is a reaction to the question yeah, rather than it's, how it's the it's it's just as it's it's the it's the same response as breathing. You know, it's just it's so oh, automatic. Oh, yeah. It's like hey, I'm great. Right? right when somebody says hey, what's up, and you go good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're not even listening. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's just like, because you're, you're, just, you're just, yeah, you're like, it's oh, totally yes, I, I, that's like, This is what I say when they say that. Yeah. And also, yeah. you're not supposed to say good any, anyway. You're supposed to say that well, you're well. Yeah. Thanks, for the, thanks for the grammar on lesson. Uh, uh, just to really back in, um, you know, so you, Jim, you were going through some very, very intense uh, things within a very condensed period of time um what support systems did you have like you were i assume well, you were married you had, yeah, you oh, had i have a, my wife is fantastic yeah and and uh how did that, how did it seep into that relationship are you still together remarkably only because of her that's uh, fucking awesome. uh, we're we're still together that is amazing and uh i put her through the ringer yeah I mean, no shit. um but again, uh, so what do you learn from that? Well, I learned that my best friend is is in fact my wife. Mm. All the people that were giving me high fives when we were drinking uh, weren't there when we needed them. Mm-hmm. And it was actually my little 100-pound wife that picked me up out of the ditch and cleaned <laughs> me off, like literally yeah. dragged me, uh, yeah. you know, and, and helped me. 
And um, oh, I thought you were <laughs> sorry. I thought you were using a metaphor there, and I was like, no, 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 but I was like, oh no, no you no, literally no. were in a ditch. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, no, I'm no, so sorry. Listen, my friend, I, I was actually sleeping on the street. Jesus Christ! Right, and and that's how bad it can get. Yeah. And I attempted suicide twice, and that means a gun in my mouth and trying to kill myself. That's some strength there, and like for for your wife to un- unbelievable. And uh, and the older I get, uh, the more. You know, you start to uh, believe things that happen for a reason. And so obviously I believe that she was there for, or for a reason and still stays for a reason. Um, it's probably got nothing to do with me, but um, thank goodness she was there. Um, so uh, at any rate, I ended up, uh, as I said, in Homewood and, and through that, uh, what was interesting is I, I had to go in a program, uh, what they called military cohorts. So uh, you, it was full of uh, military people and uh, myself, uh, because there was really nowhere to fit a police officer, uh, believe it or not. And uh, because of the type of work I've done, we've done a lot of cross-training with the military, so it was a very familiar group mm-hmm. of people to be with. And through that just watching um, it is actually quite pathetic to see very strong, courageous people that can't eat, crying, can't function. You know, like mm. it, it was, it's a mess, right? Mm. And it was at that point I, I, I thought if somebody's not going to talk about this, then who is? And, and uh, I reached out to uh, Sean O'Brien, who was my psychologist at the time, and said, would you help me write an article? So we did. And that turned into... A speaking engagement, and uh, oddly enough, in uh, in Homewood, part of the therapy was uh, journaling. You know, where you write mm-hmm. down how you and I. It, it, hey, listen, I'm not doing it. Okay, it's not going to happen. Well, we're going to leave you a book and a pen. It, it, not happening, right? And, and oh man, I don't write. Yeah. It, well, well, there's you know, it just it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. And then for some reason. Uh, I picked up the, the book and the pen, and I started to write, and I couldn't stop. And so I kept all of those notes, which was, you know, about half a foot high by the time I, I'd finished, and I just hung on to them. And what was odd, um, when I left Homewood and came home, I got a phone call from uh, Mark Ellis, and uh, he was a writer for a show called Flashpoint. Yeah, mm. and he said, "Would you come and speak to us about what it's like to be involved in all of this uh, stuff?" Because the show was essentially about a tactical team. I said, "Yeah, well, I got nothing to lose." And when I came and I told them the reality of being involved in this, uh, because in fact, uh, the show <laughs> it was co-produced by uh, an American uh, producer, yeah, and they wanted it to be a, wanted it to be a go-go kind of American right. type of thing, SWAT style. Exactly. So when uh, they heard the story, you could have heard a pin drop in the room, mm. um, and it actually changed the the uh, direction of the show. So it became more human and negotiator um, uh, centric than than the the American style. Cool. That's awesome. And the other thing that was amazing about that was uh, I met a guy named Hugh Dillon, and Hugh had also been to Homewood, and Hugh was the star. Uh, of of the show it was the lead on the show, and uh, you're, he's had a band called the Headstones. 
Mm -hmm. And we connected immediately because we both, you know, been to Homewood. There was some familiar ground there. Uh, but what was really cool about the experience is was even though they were actors, I had a team back, right? And I was able to start, I fell back into that role, right. you know. Uh, and, uh, but the other, probably the best thing about it is they weren't cops. So I got to see people that had different points of view other than police. Uh, and and w- so what do I mean by that? How, how well do you think a police officer would do as a Walmart greeter? <laughs> Probably not so good because everybody has got to be, you know, up to something, right? Yeah, right. So what happens from that is I find out that, you know, most of the world is actually a harmless place, you know, and everybody's actually pretty good. So mm-hmm. they really helped in terms of my getting, getting turned around, just their listening and understanding and having a different point of view. And they were a very supportive group of people. That's like when you, start, when you start hanging out with the... 99 other percent there you go. of the people like I, I, I resonate that resonates with me in the way that uh, I had a I, you know I had a major perspective shift when I was like 20 ish um, when I stopped playing hockey and hockey was a you know oh, yeah. was you know my life and wanted to do that for the rest of my life and and spending 99 percent of your time with that very small group of people that are doing right. the exact same thing as you and you get caught up in the, right. you know, in the in the culture of that, and you're and chew and dip, and, yeah, and you're not even really that person, but you've morphed into the into like a, a, the shape of this of this person that's basically shaped by the culture that you're in, and then when you actually step outside of it and you go like, whoa, there's actually there's actually so much possibility and opportunity to be, you know, so much more diverse of a person. Um, That's that a really, really good point. That really, that really resonated with me. I wonder who that. creates that culture, though. How it's it's like that the mob mentality. Like where does where does the where do the ideals for the the group come from? Well, I think when you when you mentioned that you were really you know you were really uh, like oh you had a team again. Like right. that, that piece of that is really familiar, but you're glad that it's not cops because there's a different perspective. Right. You get to just like, you know what I mean? You, like when you do anything with a team, you're yeah, a, you were a coach and you grew up. Camaraderie you know, is, is it, there is a very. So you're back to the human right. need of socializing. Exactly. Like that's like, that's exactly. like, that's like the root of that is the camaraderie. Mm-hmm. Now that camaraderie can take a bunch of different but shapes But if you take a bunch cultures. of, if you take camaraderie that's based around a lot of testosterone. Totally. Right. A hormone that that drives a lot of aggression and, and drives, you know, thoughts of um, it's it's like our it's it's like our most animalistic. I don't I don't know that I'm not a scientist, but I feel like it's like our most animalistic it's, hormone. It's, well, it's you know primal. I mean? it's, it's primal as yeah. fuck. Yeah, I mean, and you you fill and pair with adrenaline. Yeah, and so and and not not to say that there aren't women in in the force or there aren't women in hockey, but they are male dominate dominant. Environments and most, most things that involve any type of violence or physical contact are tend to be yeah exactly and so you okay. I, I feel like I feel like that probably plays a role into it well know? again evolution is an interesting <coughs> thing it's typically when when we look at uh, again PTSD is based in in a survival uh, an adaptive survival mechanism it becomes maladaptive when it starts to affect your life so if you go to uh, you know, an event where there's firecrackers, you guys are going, ooh, ah, 
And I'm, I'm like ducking for cover every time I hear something yeah. that sounds like a, a gunfire, right? So when it's, again, it starts to become maladaptive and I start to avoid and isolate and I start to drink, drug, eat, don't eat, Ooh. then it, now it's a problem in my life. Uh, men, again, uh, you know, uh, something that we've all probably heard is our significant other saying, you know, you're speaking very loud. Well, why is that? God, well, I hear that every well, single day. Well, because, you see, you have to understand, <laughs> again, in, in the primitive world, men, uh, we get louder and puff up and get bigger to make the bad go, guy go away or, yeah, put, right. or put food on the table. Yeah. So it's an adaptive uh, survival mechanism for us. It's, it doesn't have anything to do with their feelings. Mm-hmm. Usually men get loud and angry because, again, it's the first thing that we go to uh, but it's based, again, that I'm frustrated, I'm hurt, I'm upset, all of those things. So you have to learn to, to, to take a breath and say, okay, well, exactly what is it Ooh. that is making me loud and angry and all of Ooh. these things? So it's very difficult for men because we go immediately to what, again, in, in the primitive life would have would have helped us but right now it doesn't help us at all it just makes it worse so guys are, are a lot harder to get through to than than uh women are that have the, because again they're just uh they're they're just naturally more connected with their emotions mm-hmm. or in feelings mm-hmm. it's so interesting because like the we we've created it, when we're talking about the emotions and like you know things like puffing up and getting loud that don't really help us now, like you said, like way back in the day, like way, way, way back in the day, that was a, that was a tactic to you know, exert your dominance or your alpha type of uh, persona. And you know, we're looking out the window at a city that has what, five million people in it or something. Mm. And it's like in, in, this, in this thing that we've created, those things don't, those things don't play. Yeah, if we went but to we had, if we went to the BC and went to the mountains and saw a bear, yeah, then then it's like okay, time to puff up. <laughs> yeah, time like, to puff up and get it loud. But we haven't adapted that. Yeah. Way you see it in nature. The environment that like we created. It still exists in all different <clears throat> forms of of nature. Whether it's uh, coloring on on the backs of snakes or. Or the way like a cobra, both snake references, but the way a cobra <laughs> like snakes, up, bro. <laughs> the way uh, rams uh, butt heads. No, that's like, actually an interesting example. So when you see rams uh, locking horns or hitting each other head to head. They're actually kissing. Well, no, but here's the interesting thing. If the ram came side on to the, the other one, what would happen? Shattered. It would yeah, die. Right? It would break its yeah. ribs. Right, yeah. and and it would die. So interesting. So the reason that they go head to head, and if we took snakes and I asked you where do snakes bite each other, well, the answer is they don't, because if they did, there wouldn't be baby snakes. So in many things that we we do or you see in nature, it's to establish again dominance or or, or uh, you know who's going to mate or this type of thing. But, but at it's the like end a, of the it's day, like a wrestling match. It, yeah. At yeah. the end of the day, what I'm saying is, it's not about killing. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So when humans are involved in conflict where somebody dies, this is uh, again uh, a significant 
mm-hmm. event, and it's a huge moral and ethical challenge mm-hmm. because, again, it, we're not programmed to do that. We're prog- in spite of what you see on the news every night, the mm-hmm. very you know, brutal things, it's actually not what humans are put on earth to do. We're put on earth to socialize, get along, procreate, and, and you know, grow as, as, mm-hmm. a, as a group. And the media... Per- perpetuates that so so that that mentality so much it's like you turn on the news i remember you brian saying one time like why don't like should we start like a positive news station where it's only positive news because they never share positive things on the news everything like is the only thing all the i feel like that stuff. would fly now i feel like like i feel like eight years ago that people would be like man fuck that you, i feel I like would, now people are like yeah please give us i was that. i was telling Bring taylor that. when i was telling you that we were watching the news and it was Bad story, bad story, bad story. Ten seconds of a cat at the end of the newscast, and like, all right, that's it for today. Yeah. See you later, Halifax. Look at this like, cat that's uh, hiding inside a box. He's wearing a Santa Claus hat. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to ask you this: um, if if you were to say, um, and again, just using post-traumatic stress as the term, um, <laughs> what what is one thing that that post-traumatic stress has taken away? From you. Well, um, let's say we, we decide we're going to go skydiving right now, right? Once we landed on the ground, you guys would be like jacked, High right? Five and yeah, totally. and I go, yeah, that's all right. Wow. So I, okay. I don't really have a range of emotion anymore. So it, regardless of what's going to happen in front of me right now, this is pretty much what you're going to get. There's no Super. happy, there's no sad. It's right. just, it is what it is. Huh. And the other problem that you, you uh, uh, depression is, a, is another huge issue. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a part of the, again, that midbrain called the hippocampus. And it actually, uh, for people that have PTSD or trauma, if, when they do a brain scan, it's actually diminished in size. So in reality, you have a physical injury that manifests itself in psychological Ooh. behavior. Um, they also have found that that part of the brain is significant in depression, in long-term depressive states. Mm-hmm. So those are the two things that I, uh, I struggle with now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I do okay with it because I understand it. Um, if you take you know, prescribed medication, as you should, mm-hmm. and you do your cognitive therapy, which is the key to getting people better, um, and again, a hug goes a long way um, yeah. and, and uh, because it transcends all words mm-hmm. and uh, th- these are really the, again the human things that help people get better and then slowly what we try to do is re-expose people um, what in, in terms of the, the, the yoga what I would do is, is uh, take this individual to Taylor and say okay so we've been here for five minutes and Taylor's a good guy right nothing's mm-hmm. happened and she would go yeah can we do ten minutes tomorrow can we do an hour? You know what? Can you do this class on your own? Mm. And so slowly by re-exposing people and reducing the anxiety, they start to realize that, okay, I'm, I'm okay now. Oh, okay. But right. we have to, again, um, if, I'll say this to anybody you know, that, that's struggling. If you're waiting for somebody to make it better for you, it's not going to happen. Yeah. If you're waiting for your whatever, you know, uh, you know, uh, industry or you know profession you're in for that mechanism to make you well, uh, and you know somebody should be uh, doing this and doing that for you. Um, 
you've got to take a lot of responsibility mm-hmm. on your own, and you've got to, again, find somebody that you trust and help you get re-exposed to the world and find out that it's not actually as, as you know, a dangerous place as you, what you may perceive it as. And slowly over time, we can get people back on their, their feet. Uh, right now, in, uh, when I started talking about this, and I'm, we've been doing this for, uh, well, it's a better part of, you know, close to 12, 13, 14 years now, um, there were really not a lot of support mechanisms. And as I've gone around and spoken and, and other people have done the same, uh, that's grown. And recently in the province... Uh, it's become presumptive that first responders uh, exposed to a traumatic incident will succumb to PTSD. So in the past, we had to prove that we were mm-hmm. injured to get our WSIB coverage. Mm-hmm. That, that's no longer the case. And, and the only fear I have right now is people will go, okay, well, they've got that coverage, so you know what, we don't really have to help we're them good. anymore. Yeah. yeah, we're okay, we're, yeah. Good. we're good. But I think <laughs> now it's, it's more important than ever that we give that, that support to people mm. that they need. And, and really, that's, again, how we, we get people better. It's just a human thing, mm. and uh, it's really the only way to do it. What's one thing that, that your PTSD um, has given you? Well, you know what? I, what I tell people that immediately start to, uh, you know, are just starting into PTSD, uh, it, it's, uh, in a way, it's a gift, Right, because if you take the time, it allows you to be very introspective and re-examine how you see the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, so for me, uh, it opened up a, a lot of territory for me. And uh, I took the time to, to, again, take responsibility for me mm-hmm. and slowly, day by day, get better. And I've had some great help along the way um, from some very unique individuals that have been able to transcend a a management or a leadership role, and, mm-hmm. and say, you know what, this guy's okay. We're gonna we're gonna help him here, and and uh, you know, so that's been that's been a great help. But like I said, um, for if it, if it, you know if you will allow it, it can be a gift that that helps you understand the world mm-hmm. a little bit better. Cool. Yeah. Uh, the one last ahead. thing I just want to say is uh, I know that you you wrote a book. Yeah, and uh, I, I just want to know what what's the title of the book? The book is the book. Uh, thanks for asking that. Yeah. The book is called Crack in the Armor, and it's based on uh, again the, all the journaling I did at, at Homewood. Um, it's on Amazon. Um, dot com. You can buy it as an ebook, or you can get it uh, as uh, what do they call print on demand. And uh, like I say, it's a very honest day by day look at what it's like to go through it and then how to get yourself back on your feet. There's a, a section by uh, Dr. Sean O'Brien also that points out the, the, you know, the medical side of what mm-hmm. PTSD is. And, uh, yeah, so it's out there. Sweet. Yeah, thanks a lot. Well, Jim, uh, thank you. Thank you for oh, this. My this, pleasure. Is a, this is a fantastic conversation. It was really, really it. interesting. Yeah, I feel, like, uh, I feel like the three of us can kind of like take something from this, you know? Oh, like, for sure. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's so, I love, I just love being able to do this. I love being able to hear the different perspectives that people have on, on their illness and what they're dealing with. And, um, I don't it, know, just, it's, it's such um, a ripe opportunity for, for growth and learning. Yeah. And one of the, one of the things that I find uh, the most interesting about this is that we get to, 
we get to learn from each other. And when you take uh, uh, all of these different people that we've been able to sit down with and, and listen to their experiences with life and the lessons that they learn, you can learn secondhand through other people's experiences. And I think there's something extremely powerful and extremely... Well, good advice is based on bad experience. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah no kidding. Uh, cool. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. I hope you're having a wonderful week. Uh, really would mean a lot to us if you headed on over to iTunes and subscribed and gave us a rating and a Great. review. Okay. Not every time. Uh, we're on iTunes. Uh, we are on. Uh, we're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Check out that stuff. We always got silly, goofy stuff on there. And uh, talk, talk to you guys next week. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.